So parties themselves rely on donations from individuals, from businesses, unions, other organisations to help fund their campaigns. And what's important for us to know about this is how concentrated that funding is and who's putting up the big dollars behind a campaign, because that tells us who the political parties are most reliant on, but also potentially who parties could be influenced by in their policies or their positioning. Welcome to the Grattan Podcast channel. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing Australia's political donation system. Once a year, the Commonwealth releases information on Australia's political donation system, who donates to political parties and how much. The latest instalment was published on the 1st of Feb 2019 and shows how much money political parties received in the previous financial year. The data isn't timely. Some of the donations now finally declared were made as far back as July 2017. But the information contained in this data dump does give clues as to who is funding Australian democracy and who our political parties are most reliant on. In 2018, Grattan released a report titled Who's in the Room? Access and Influence in Australian Politics. It looked at political donations and lobbying, including funding behind the 2016 federal election campaigns. Joining me today to talk through these new findings are two of the co-authors of that report, Senior Associate Kate Griffiths and Associate Carmela Chivers. Welcome, Kate. Welcome, Carmela. Thanks, Megan. Hello. So, first of all, let me ask the most important question. Why does it matter so much that we know who's donating to election campaigns? It's a good question. Uh, well, look, election campaigns allow political parties to communicate their key messages and their policies to voters. So they're super important. And spreading that message far and wide can be really expensive. So parties themselves rely on donations from individuals, from businesses, unions, other organisations to help fund their campaigns. And what's important for us to know about this is how concentrated that funding is and who's putting up the big dollars behind a campaign, because that tells us who the political parties are most reliant on, but also potentially who parties could be influenced by in their policies or their positioning. Mm. So based on the current data release, uh, who are the big donors, Carmela? So this data dump uh, reaffirms what we already know about who the major donors are for um, the main political parties. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the ALP, it was um, unions like the Shoppies, the SDA, uh, the CFMEU and the Electrical Trades Union. Um, and for the coalition, it was groups, business groups like uh, mining firms uh, or uh, gambling or hotels associations. And is that really all there is to it? Is that as far as it goes in terms of, in terms of funding? Well, actually, really, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So these are the ones we can see are some of the big donors um, in the party returns. But the reality is that the coalition received um, $71 million, Labor received $60 million in the 2017-18 financial year. And um, if we just take those two major parties, about half of what the coalition received um, was from unknown sources and about a third of Labor's funding was from unknown sources. So we're looking at a combined pot of about $57 million from unknown sources between the two major parties. And, you know, that that could be from a variety of places. Like it could be a large number of small donors, donations from individuals, for example, uh, mum and dad donors. But it could also represent donation splitting, which is where a single donor makes a large donation split across a number of smaller donations. 
Mm. So, for example, several $10,000 donations, which would fall under the threshold, but combined um, could be a substantial chunk of party funding. Mm. And, uh, and we do actually see evidence of that sort of donation splitting in this, in this data release. Is, is there a need for that donation splitting to be timed? Like it, it, these $10,000 donations, can they happen every hour or does it have to be, you know, only one $10,000 donation this week, another $10,000 donation another week? Each um, individual donation is separately recorded and they do not have to be aggregated by the party in its declarations. It is There is an onus on the donor to aggregate its own donations and let the AEC know about that, uh, the Australian Electoral Commission, but there is actually no way the Australian Electoral Commission can know if a donor is following through on that because the parties don't have to aggregate it. Wow. Mm. And it's also, it makes it quite tricky for researchers to follow up on because uh, the first place that you look when you're searching for information on political donations is, well, what did the parties say? Uh, and then to to know that there might be donations under the threshold, and the threshold's really high, it's like thirteen over $13,000 at the moment. Um, you, have to, you have to guess what the donor name would be, and often they're misspelt, uh, and then go and search through the, donate, the donor's donation records. So if you know what you're looking for, you can go and find things. Um, but if you don't, then there's a huge amount of money that it's just impossible for researchers, journalists, or more importantly, the public to follow up on. Wow. Got to love self-regulation, huh? (laughs) So I understand this recent set of data has had some interesting detail in it. Uh, Carmela, what have political parties been hiding? Hmm. So Tasmania follows the same donations laws as the Commonwealth. Which are great, obviously. (laughs) They're fantastic. Um, (laughs) Uh, And in the period that this donation starter covers, Tasmania had an election in March 2018. During that election, there was a suspicion um, that there was a significant amount of pro-gambling money sloshing around uh, during the election. Um, But there was no way for Tasmanian voters to follow up on that or to have any information about that when they went to the ballot box. Mm. And now, 11 months later, earlier this month, we have had this donations data released and finally we can see that, yes, there was a significant amount of pro-gambling money sloshing around during that election. Labor went to the election with a policy to remove poker machines from... um, from the state, uh, and the Liberals were more open to having poker machines stay for an extended period of time. I think it was 25 years. Uh, and what we saw was a, a, a large amount of money went towards the Liberal Party to support their campaign. It was actually $400,000, which is a wow. huge amount for a state like Tasmania. Um, it was and something like 90% of their funding, wasn't it? It was, yeah, wow. it was it was massive. Mm. Um, and compared to the earlier election, which was in 2013, it's something like 10 times the amount of money from that industry going to the Liberal Party. Um, and Labor received nothing. And the thing is, we've seen uh, the pro-gambling industry use political donations in this way before. Mm. Um, when Julia Gillard and Andrew Wilkie proposed reforms to curb problem gambling in 2011, we saw um, a, a similar sort of thing. Political donations were pulled 
from the Labor Party and they were put towards the Liberal Party and they were combined with this really effective advertising campaign in marginal seats. And gambling researchers say that that may have convinced Labor that these reforms weren't in the party's interests Mm. and ultimately Gillard had to walk away from the reforms. Mm. So when we see this again in Tasmania, voters rightly feel that political donations are being used to sway the debate or to, to dissuade parties from taking on positions that aren't in the industry's interests. Mm. It can really separate out what's in the public interest from what's in the party interest because the donations are such an important part of funding political parties' campaigns. Mm. Um, And when a party uh, might want to make reforms that are um, broadly considered to be in the public interest, it has to do it at the expense Mm. of its own interests and and how often are they going to actually take those sorts of positions. Mm. And we should say that At the moment, we're talking about the gambling industry, um, but we see this across a number of different industries. And it's not just uh, a Liberal Party issue or a Labor Party issue um, that it happens on both sides of politics that Mm. you see these sorts of things happen. Um, There are a large amount of donations coming from an industry and they tend to go to parties that support that industry's interests. Mm. So you've mentioned an impact there being... Uh, sort of almost a a lessening of a a policy stance potentially by a political party. And for those who didn't follow the Tasmanian election, a.k.a. me, uh, does it have an impact at the polls as well, though? Does it actually impact the election itself? I think that um, what happens is, I mentioned before that you, you have this combination of political donations and then a strong advertising campaign. Mm. And during that time in 2011 when Gillard was proposing those um, reforms, it was that campaign that really had an impact on changing the narrative mm. around these reforms. It was sort of it was flagged as un-Australian. Um, there were all of these signs up in pubs uh, saying, you know, we need a license to punt. Um, mm. The the government is talking about removing people's individual rights and and things like that that really kind of put it into the mind of voters and made it an election issue or a significant issue for for the government. So we know what uh, what were the influences in the Tasmanian state election. We have a federal election coming up later this year. Uh, do we know who's funding it? Can we know? Essentially, we can take a reasonable guess Mm -hmm. based on previous years. Um, So we know that business groups and large, a very, a few large individual donations will probably be the main source of funds for the coalition uh, and that unions will be a big source of funds for Labor because we've seen that consistently over the years. Uh, For the Greens and minor parties, there are often a few big donations from individuals um, who who fund those parties' campaigns. But um, essentially... We won't know until well after the election exactly who was funding the election. And and that's really where the problem arises. We go to the polls probably in May. Mm. We won't know till next February who was funding this year's election. And what will be interesting to see, um, and which we can't know for a while yet, is whether new major donors come out of the woodwork essentially and um, because of particular election issues, either that they put them on the table for parties or that parties were already considering particular reforms and 
the money that they contribute, if it's substantial, could help to swing um, where the parties sit on it, where voters sit on it. Uh, so that's that's the sort of thing we can establish, but only long after the fact. Mm. So it does seem to me that there are some issues with the system as it currently stands. What what can we do to improve it? There, there's three fairly simple things we could do to make the political donation system a lot more transparent. Um, so the first is is to lower the disclosure threshold. Currently, it's sitting at thirteen thousand eight hundred dollars. Uh, you don't have to disclose a donation below that level as a party. Mm. That really needs to be much lower. There's talk of um, of different thresholds among different parties. Grattan would say a, a threshold of about $5,000 would be a more reasonable threshold because the current threshold is well above what um, you know you or I could contribute to a political campaign, what a, what an average Australian could contribute. Mm. Uh, $5,000 is still high enough that you're probably not capturing mum and dad donors, but you are able to capture those who are having the potential to have more substantial influence. So that's the first thing, lower the threshold. Mm. The second thing is um, possibly even more important is just to aggregate under your threshold. So whatever the threshold is, parties should be aggregating donations from the same donor under that threshold. So as you're not getting this donation splitting effect. If you've got two donations of $10,000, mm. that should be declared from the same donor. Mm. That should be declared as a donation of $20,000 or $20,000 worth of donations from that donor. That should be on the public record. And that mm. should be something the parties are doing, not something that's left up to the donor mm. to provide that information. So second, we should be aggregating. And the third thing is that uh, at the moment we publish the donations data so long after the fact that it's really lost its meaning. Mm. Uh, and it's really it's really a sad thing because it's the information that voters should have when they're going to the polls. It's not the information that we should be having to, to wait a full year or sometimes up to 19 months later to be able to talk about. Um, so we need to see publishing of donations data in, in close to real time, as, as close as we can get. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Like, there's no point in having transparency if it's not timely. It doesn't mean anything to know about who was donating to who or where the money was flowing to 19 months after the fact. Mm -hmm. And even it'll, it can be up to 19 months and then there might be an amendment that occurs to a political donation disclosure that could happen years after the fact. And by that point, all that happens is it makes people feel more cynical about political processes. Mm. It doesn't help us at all inform voters when they're actually voting. Why does it take so long currently? Well, part of it is that it's written into legislation that they don't have to <laughs> donate. Sure. Uh, sorry, they don't have to disclose donations mm -hmm. um, until the 1st of February each year for mm -hmm. the previous financial year. So the disclosures that we've been talking about were for the 2017-18 financial year, mm. which was um, between federal elections, but included the Tasmanian election, as, as we've discussed, it included the Queensland state election, it included the South Australian state election. But the reason we focused uh, really on the interesting findings in the Tasmanian election is that they have the same disclosure regime as the Commonwealth. So they are disclosing um, a full 19 months later, whereas Queensland and um, South Australia, which both had elections during this period as well. The findings are less interesting there because we actually already knew about them. Those states disclose in close to real time already. So we had that information when Queenslanders went to the polls in um, in 2017, for example. Mm. Mm, yeah, excluding Tasmania, the states are way ahead of the Commonwealth on this stuff. Mm -hmm. South Australia and Queensland use an online portal to consolidate and validate 
the data. So what happens is a donor or a political party can log on. They say during an election, they have seven days to go on and say, I donated to this party or this person or organisation donated to us. Um, and then the portal goes and asks the um, their partner, the donor or the party, did this actually happen? And so in this way, they, they make sure that the data is reliable and then it gets consolidated. So all you have to do as a voter in Queensland or South Australia is log on to this portal and it will tell you straight away who's been donating to the major parties, how much have they been donating and when. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, ge- I jested before about self-regulation. In terms of um, putting into place things like aggregating the data, who would be responsible for enforcing that Who and, and making sure that parties actually did uh, provide information correctly. I mean, Carmela, you spoke earlier about how different donations, different donors, uh, or sorry, the same donor can be entered twice, completely spelled completely differently. Mm. So, how do we regulate and make uh, and legislate to make sure that parties are in fact uh, delivering on 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 an aggregation if if that's the way we go? It would be for the Australian Electoral Commission to manage a system mm. where it is the onus is on parties to aggregate donations from the same donor under the threshold. Um, Practically speaking, you don't really want to capture kind of the sausage sizzle level donations. It's just too much to manage. Like that becomes extraordinarily burdensome. So you'd say something like any donation over $100 but under the threshold should be um, aggregated if there are multiple donations of Mm. that kind. And at the point where they uh, get above the threshold, the party has to put it on its form. Now, that's actually not too arduous for a party to do. Mm. It's it's quite arduous for donors to have to do it, and currently they do have to do it. But as, as I said before, there's no way for the Electoral Commission to follow up on that. Mm. In terms of what the Electoral Commission could do to improve things like um, the sort of the number of different names a single donor can be recorded under, um, I think it would be about you could have a system online where you have to use a single donor name um, each time, the same donor name each time. You could have potentially um, follow-up of groups that are inputting their data in multiple ways. But essentially, the party, if the party's aggregating, they sh- they will have to do that under a single name. Mm. Yeah, it's the 21st century. We it's can we can find a, a technology, in fact. There's um, online systems. There are already <laughs> technologies that can make this happen. Yeah. But the AEC is to some extent constrained by the legislation. They can't mm. they can't do this proactively. Um, it's up to parliamentarians to legislate that this is the requirement and then the AEC can act on that. So it is it's it's up to our, our politicians and policymakers to make this change. Um, and then we can trust that the AEC will be able to follow through on it because they are by international standards a very good electoral commission. Mm. So I guess we've talked about these three uh, reforms that would really improve the political donation system. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it does go a bit broader than that because the reason we care about political donations is around uh, what potential influence they could have. So beyond these um, three reforms to actually just clean up how we report donations, um, there are other ways to improve transparency in the system. And um, I guess it would really help if we knew a lot more about lobbying activity, particularly meetings with ministers, because our research last year um, in our report, Who's in the Room, it showed that in the lead up to the Queensland state election in 2017, about half of major donors 
we're getting a meeting with the Premier, Deputy Premier or Treasurer. Mm. And that's just an extraordinary hit rate and opportunity to influence if you think about it. Mm. Um, Certainly well above what most, the level of access most people could expect to have uh, to, to very senior politicians. And, I mean, to Queensland's credit, the reason we know that Mm. is because they publish their ministerial diaries and because they publish donations data in in close to real time. So it's great we can see that. And that means that voters who went to the Queensland election had that information. Mm. Um, But, you know, we don't see that at the federal level. We don't have that level of information at the federal level, not just on the donation side of things, but also on the side of who who are ministers actually meeting with, who's in the room, who's having the opportunity to influence policy. Mm-hmm. And that that's what we mm-hmm. care about at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also who's not in the room, right, which can also be a really important thing to know. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw in those diaries that consumer groups um, and charities, not-for-profits, got considerably less meetings than we might have expected and and that should be called out too Mm. is that is that um diary publishing legislated in queensland or is it just something that they do out of the so transparency of their heart (laughs) (laughs) so that's a decision by parliament to publish diaries um and we see that in new south wales too Mm. and there are varying quality um acts bringing in as well so that's great to see at the state level and again, we really recommend we see that at the federal level, particularly for ministers, because ministers have a lot of um, decision-making um, power. They have a lot of, uh, there are a lot of demands on their time and who gets the opportunity to speak to them, to influence them is really important. And we really need that. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kate and Carmela. To read more about Grattan's thoughts on the new data release or to download a copy of the previous report, head to our website, grattan.edu.au, and stay up to date with all of Grattan's news, reports and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And, of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy, with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.